Yes, yes, we know you love Albums Unleashed, but can you handle it two weeks in a row? Well, we're about to find out. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend, kick-ass co-host, Chris Sinzak. Are you able to handle it two weeks in a row, Chris? Oh, I know I am. This is a uh, this is a very exciting couple of weeks for us, and uh, yeah, double your pleasure, double your uh... double your pleasure, double your drums. I like it. So yeah, we decided to come back after bringing it to you strong last week with an album's unleashed of the debut album by Blue Murder with the one and only Carmine Apiece. Man, that guy was amazing. And when we had the opportunity to talk to him, we said, well, you know. You got a brother we'd love to talk to as well. And so we lined it up and made it happen. And this week, it's Albums Unleashed. Dio, holy diver. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So Vinny Apice uh, really brought it this episode. And uh, you're, this might be this might be up there with the best Albums Unleashed we've done. Like tons of great stories in this one. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. And uh, learned a lot this time. Oh, yeah, definitely. You guys are going to love this. But, of course, before we get to the festivities and the rock, we got to take care of our business. And you know us. We love them. We need them. You can give them to us. Reviews and recommendations. I got one right here. It comes to us via Apple Podcasts. It's called Outstanding Surprise, and it's all five stars. goes like this. While trying to find a new music podcast, I found Chris and Aaron. Decibel Geek is like a road trip with your friends talking music. If you even remotely like hard rock or heavy metal, you have to give these guys a listen. Funny and a good source of new music. Thanks, boys. And that comes to us from Dad Shoe, right here in the good old USA. Apple Podcast Review. Damn good one, too. Still picking up new listeners. That's great. Yeah, after all these years, man, that's got to be a thrill to be like, oh, I really like this. What? There's over 400 episodes. Yeah, good luck getting caught up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to Bracket Brawl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the (laughs) Ghost of the Future warning. (laughs) There's a couple stinkers in there, but, you know, you got plenty of time to catch up. And when you do, we'll be here with Holy Diver. How awesome. Man, a lot of cool stuff going on in the world. A lot of things are lightening up. People are getting back together again. I see concerts are being announced. Things are happening. And you know what's happening this summer. I'm talking about August 6th through the 8th right here in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Rockin' Pod. What is Rockin' Pod? Well, it's a big old party right here in Music City where we get together. We get rock stars. We get podcasters. We get people selling old rock albums. We get people selling rock t-shirts and posters and a chance to get your autographs and meet your favorite rock stars and hang out with your favorite podcasters and have a good old time all weekend long. Chris, there's been so many awesome announcements already made for Rockin' Pod. I think it's time you lay a big one on the people. Well, yeah, let's lay one on uh, everyone early uh, because I don't. We haven't officially announced it as of the day of this recording. So, um, you know, if you've enjoyed hearing Carmine and and hearing Vinny this week, um, you'll enjoy meeting them in Nashville because they're coming to Rock and Pod Weekend in August. Yeah, and if you want to get all your Carmine a piece stuff signed, you better bring a van because there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Vinny too. Yeah, I'm gonna. I want to get my Holy Diver vinyl signed. I want to get my Blue Murder vinyl signed. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. They're gonna have a table at the expo. They're gonna be meeting fans, doing some special meet and greets with photos and stuff. And um, they might actually, uh, they might be a part of the pre-party concert. We're still working on that. But uh, there's also gonna be an announcement soon that on Sunday, on August 8th, uh, there will be some. Uh, there will be a couple of events featuring Carmine and Vinny at SIR Nashville. Um, just stay tuned for details on that, but they're going to be pretty exciting. I know you guys are going to dig it. Heck yeah, just when you thought you couldn't cram any more rock into that weekend, August 6th through the 8th, we found a way to do it. Yes, we're getting everything we can out of that weekend. Right here in Nashville, you want the information, Rock and Pod. Dot com. Check it out. Get yourself a hotel room so you can stay right there and party with us. We've got rock and roll comedians coming. There's some cool stuff going on after Rock and Pod. There's the great stuff going on before Rock and Pod. And then, of course, Saturday, the main event, Rock and Pod itself. Get all the information at the website, rockandpod.com. Become a part of it. It's time to party again. We're bringing the party back this summer with Rock and Pod right here in Nashville. Anything else going on? I mean, we're proud to be a part of Pantheon. We know that. Yeah, and uh, and thanks for uh, Carmine and Vinny's uh, rep, Gwen, for all, as she hooked us up with Carmine last week. She helped us get this set up with uh, Vinny today. And, uh, yeah, we're on Pantheon, and Carmine and Vinny have their own show called Hanging and Banging yes. that is also on Pantheon Podcast Network. I also want to plug Vinny's. Uh, every Tuesday night, Vinny does a special stream on Facebook, uh, uh, official Vinny Apathy on Facebook. Check that out every Tuesday night. Yeah, do that because it is awesome. So now we've got all the, the important stuff out of the way. It's time to have some fun. So we want to thank everybody that tuned in with us last week because we did the big old albums unleashed with Carmine. This week we got it with Vinny. All the people that took last week's episode when we shared it on Facebook and tweeted it on the Twitter, they retweeted it, they reshared it, however all that works, and they became honorary Geeks of the Week. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Joseph Capone, Jay Shablewski, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Sit and Spin with Joe, Peter Beal, David Glenn, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, Mark Alden-Taylor, Pantheon Podcast, Kevin Williams, Simon Cat, Keith Rockford, David Cathy, Hakon Bergstad, Ed Lopez Reyes, Doug Fox, Jerry Danielson, J.J. McElhenney, Keith Rockford, Kevin's on Fire, Kristen Schimbeck, JJP, Body of the Soul, Ernesto Aguiar, Vet Halen, Amber Brook, Hard Rock Forever, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people, our rock and roll friends out there, helping us share and spread the word about Decibel Geek Podcast. I know a lot of people are going to want to share this episode because there's a lot of people that love the album we're about to break down with you. Chris, are you ready? 
Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Holy diver! All right, man. Well, this is, I got to tell you, it's a thrill, man, to get to talk to you about this because this is, I feel this iconic album. You know, this is one that if I had to choose 10 albums that I could only listen to these for the rest of my life, I'd have to put Holy Diver on that list because I'd miss it too bad if I didn't have it. I was just jamming on it today. Not a bad song on it. You know, it's the whole thing is just killer. But before all this, I mean, without Black Sabbath, there would be no Holy Diver. So I guess, was there a moment when Dio came to you and maybe said, hey, I got to tell you something. We got to get out of here. Was there a moment when that happened? Yeah, there was a moment, but uh, it wasn't quite like that. And uh, the last Sabbath uh, tour, we recorded Live Evil, and uh, and there was a problem with the mixing of that. And things got really bad. Between Ronnie and Tony and Geezer, uh, I was kind of the new guy, so it didn't. I had nothing to do with the breakup of it or anything. And then, uh, you know, Ronnie had a record deal during Black Sabbath that was supposed to be a solo deal. Ronnie was going to do a solo album with, like, you know, like everybody does a solo album, get some friends and different musicians and do it like that. Since things kind of turned sour with uh, Sabbath. Ronnie decided he's going to use that album solo deal to, to do a new band, you know, put together a new band. So we were at the rainbow bar and grill in, in LA in Hollywood. And I remember <laughs> sitting there and Ronnie said, listen, I'm going to leave the band and I'm going to form and uh, start a new band. You know, I'd like you to come, come along, join, you know, with me. And I said, absolutely. You know, I thought it was a great thing. I thought it was exciting. And uh, we lived close to each other. Uh, Tony and Giza lived in England. So they were in England and Ronnie's like two miles from my house, you know. And we got along so well. It was like, you know, really, really close. So I decided to uh, say yes and go with Ronnie, you know. Let's start. Do it. There's no hesitation or nothing. I mean, to me, I would think, man, that's got to be scary. You know, you got this opportunity to be in one of the hugest bands in all of history and you're going to, that takes some guts to walk away from it. Wait a minute. Hugest is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I like the Bowery boys. Uh, <laughs> you know who they are. Anyway. Uh, well, you know, here I am talking to Ronnie, you know, one this fucking amazing, great singer who's already got, a giant following, you know, so, yeah. so it was like, uh, wasn't like hooking up with somebody unknown and then trying to do something and it doesn't work. And then you stop, you know, I kind of, knew this would work, you know? Yeah. With, with- and I think I, I read that, uh, that, 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 you know, that you did have the open invitation to stay on with Sabbath. So how did Tony and geezer take the, uh, the news that you were not, you were not going to stay with them? Um, well, you know, they, they, they were probably disappointed, you know. Um, I just thought, you know, this was the best choice for me. It was easy to, we both, we were both in California, Ronnie and I. And, uh, you know, nothing stops Tony and Geezer. So, you know, right, right. they could go on with with me or without me. It, it's not going to matter so much. Uh, yeah. So I just thought this would be a good opportunity and be very exciting, you know, so. It was a hard choice, you know, obviously, because we were all getting, you know, I got along with everybody, you know, like I said, Tony and Geezer family and, of course, Ronnie. So 
uh, you know, in the middle. And that happened a couple times with this band too. You know, crazy. Yeah. Did uh was it? I'm am I right in assuming that Jimmy Bain was a quick first choice to be the bass player for the band just because of the rain the connection to Rainbow? Well, when we started, it was just Ronnie and I, and we would go in a rehearsal room. Ronnie had some ideas. He'd play bass, and I played play him on the drums. And uh, we had the first thing we had was kind of parts of Holy Diver, and we put it together. Um, not the whole song, but we did put the different parts and accents and all different things. Uh, and then it was let's get a guitar player first, and we auditioned people in L.A. One of them was Jakey e. Lee. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, he was great. And uh, but Ronnie, Ronnie decided he wanted to get an, a European influence, and not have an American, all total American band, <clears throat> because uh, he's always played with you know Richie Blackmore, and then he's played with Sabbath, so it was always an international flavor. So we went over to England to find a guitar player and he said he's uh contacted jimmy jimmy will be in back in town we went to london in a couple of days so in the meantime ronnie and i went to different clubs around london looking for guitar players and one of them was like a reggae band playing you know it's dreadlocks and stuff <laughs> uh they come on i go i don't think that's the guy <laughs> that would have been interesting <laughs> not the guy <laughs> dreadlocks and stuff great stuff but in, that's yeah. not what we're looking right. for. So we went through a couple of those. And then finally, Jimmy got back in town. And uh, yeah, there was a connection with Ronnie and Jimmy with Rainbow. And, and uh, you know, Jimmy's a great guy and they got along. And uh, so I met Jimmy. Jimmy recommended Vivian Campbell, this guy, Viv, who uh, his band, Vivian's band. Uh, Sweet uh, Savage. Sweet Savage opened up for Wild Horses, which was Jimmy's band. That was a great so band. Jimmy knew him, you know, and they got on good and, and, and he heard fifth play. So he was amazing. So when Jimmy got back, uh, we put in, he called Viv, Viv's house at two in the morning, spoke to his dad, woke him up and uh, put Viv on the phone. And next day, Viv flew into London and we jammed. And that was like the magic moment. You know, yeah, we just jammed on stuff and it just felt right. And, and Viv was smoking and uh and jimmy too we all felt got into the same kind of feel which is great because we're all from different countries jimmy's from scotland right. Viv's from ireland i'm from brooklyn new york and uh ronnie's from upstate new york but it all felt right so um let's, let's talk about a little bit of well, the the, al well, the the main thing a lot of people noticed immediately with this route album is the cover i mean the cover is a yeah. striking album cover and it's a legendary now um yeah. You know, and I read a little bit up on the creation of it and everything. There's been a lot of controversy over the years of is the is Murray strangling the priest or is the priest strangling Murray? Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to elaborate on with well, that? Ronnie always went with the not obvious, like the, the priest was doing Murray and kind of trying to do Murray. And so read between the lines. I don't know. I just love yeah. the album cover and the colors are yeah. fantastic. The artwork is beautiful. The guy who did that is just uh, unbelievable. You know, and, yeah, that's, and that's a grabbed me the first time. That's a great cover, you know, just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I got it up there on the wall on a big one. Did it say yeah. Holy Diver on the front? I don't think so. This says Dio. I think it just or maybe it did Dio. on the right down on the bottom and small. That, yeah, on the bit bottom. Yeah. That's a reprint up there. Yeah, one of the most iconic album covers of all time. And that was the thing that really attracted me to it being a young kid. And I didn't know nothing about rock bands, so I would look at the album covers of the albums my Uncle Bruce had, 
And I remember as soon as I saw Holy Diver, I was like, oh, I got to hear this, you know. And then really what you look at and you see the album cover and then what you get in the music, it really, you know, you're not let down by it. You know, you get the album cover, you see it and go, it fits. It fits. It totally, I was just going to say that, that that album cover fits the music. And uh, Murray on that particular cover looks badass. So muscular and I I seem to think Murray got more cartoon-like as these albums went along. And uh, I didn't particularly care for the cartoon look of it. I like this one. This was really mean looking. And it fit the music, you know? Then you put the album on and it starts off with stand up and shout. And you go, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Don't take it off. So it's a great album. Ronnie. Yeah. Is there a particular reason for that name? Well, everything needs a name. So Ronnie He just like, looks like Murray. Like a stupid (laughs) name. Like you expect Murray to be some, maybe a guy in New York at the jewelry district selling watches, you know, Jewish guy. Right. Hey, Murray, give me a deal on a watch. So here he is. Here's Murray, you know, that didn't look like Murray. <laughs> yeah. Does not look like a Murray. Doesn't look like a Murray. So Ronnie. Just... So, uh, and, you know, you guys made this at, at uh, Sound City, which is, you know, very famous studio. Um, it, you know, and I watched the documentary about the studio. I've never got the fortune of going to it, but from what that yeah. documentary sounds, it sounds like it's like very magical place. I mean, did you have really good memories of being in that place? <laughs> well, um, we, Ronnie found that studio, Ronnie and Wendy, they found that studio and the way it, it's like a horseshoe kind of shape, you know, building. And then in the middle is a parking. One side is the rehearsal. They had three rehearsal rooms, not very big, but the, the three rooms, then you go right across, there's the door to sound city. And they had, uh, just had the two studios. A was the big room. And then there was another room, smaller room. And, uh, so it was a great place because we booked it. We blocked it out for like two months to rehearse. And that's where we wrote all the songs. And we they let us do anything we wanted in there. I mean, we punched holes in the wall. We, we, they had pinball machines. We managed to open them up and put like aluminum foil in so you can't lose the ball. I mean, <laughs> you could play for all night, you know, didn't have to lose the ball or put any more money in. We wrecked the candy machines, the soda, everything. They let us do anything in there. We smoked a lot of pot during that album and uh, we were having a ball. It was like seven o'clock was rehearsal time and it was like the boys club. You know, we all looked forward to going and hanging out and smoking some pot and it's, you know, I didn't really drink, but I smoked and Ronnie smoked and drank and jimmy drank more than he smoked and viv didn't do anything he just got high in the room from the vapor we <laughs> <laughs> always say viv got you know contact high but it was so much fun it was hanging out it was something new it was really cool it was like you know we get paid to do this holy shit and we were writing some great stuff a lot of jamming you know sometimes uh i would just get up and play a, a feel and a groove and then Viv and Jimmy joined in and Ronnie liked it. He'd get up and just start singing stuff. You know, it was very easy, very natural. There were no rules. There was nothing. And uh, that's the best way, I think. Yeah. And that's why that album 
came out so good. It was all in the feel and what we felt. And nobody said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I'm playing fills over Ronnie's vocal lines on a lot of stuff. And he didn't care. He, I inspired him. He inspired me. And uh, anything went, you know, and we, that was our first album. We didn't have wow. to worry about repeating something from previous albums. Yeah. Because the previous album was Sabbath, and that's a whole different sound, you know. So this was fresh and new. So we wrote four songs, right? And then, okay, let's go record. So we booked the studio, and we took all this gear right across the parking lot. You know, cymbal stand with the cymbal on it, <laughs> carrying it across drums we didn't break anything down here's the snare drum on the stand <laughs> so you know we had a couple of guys helping us and we brought it in the studio and the sound city at that time the board you know that board was old and it was pretty wrecked i mean there's some faders that didn't work you know there were so many drugs from all the bands that recorded in there previously and drinks spilled and <laughs> all that shit and when it rained, which is not much in L.A., the roof leaked. So oh, wow. the room was big. Wow. And when it rained, it would be leaking. We'd have to put a bucket down there. It was like <laughs> that kind of shit. So what we did was we wanted to get a real live drum sound. So we went to Home Depot and we bought eight sheets of plywood. And with the plywood, we laid two on the floor. Then we built a hut around the drums with a roof. And then I could see the big opening in the front so I could see the band mm -hmm. and uh and it got a great drum sound the wood reflected back into the mics and that was the way we recorded and what I in front of me was Ronnie on a vocal mic and I could see Viv and Jimmy and we all played together all those songs were played start to finish vocals obviously were re you know yeah we didn't keep the scratch vocal um we usually kept the bass and the drums and then some of the guitars or maybe put another guitar on split it you know stereo guitar then ronnie did his vocal you know when it was under control but that's and then when we finished move all the shit back to the other room back to the rehearsal room yeah and then just work up more yeah, yeah. but we did that's shit fine. like there was a front office and the rehearsal part of it and this mm -hmm. guy brett he he was the running the thing he worked at we used to take the piss out of him all the time. So one night we asked him, could you go get some beer, you know, down at the liquor store and stuff? He goes, yeah, yeah. So he goes and leaves. So at night, he had his office set up with a light on, the TV there. So when he left, we took the whole office and moved it out in the parking lot. <laughs> with the light on, with the TV on, we had electric. The chair was there. It looked like an office in the middle of a, oh in a parking lot, you know. And then we ran back in the room and locked the door so he couldn't get in, you know. <laughs> so he comes back, what are you doing? <laughs> and everybody's laughing and shit. My brother oh, rehearsed wow. there with a the vanilla fudge. We locked them in the room. We put all our cases up so they couldn't open the door. And we left them. <laughs> then we went and played. So we just did crazy shit. It was so much fun. That's oh. hilarious. Then we wrote the last four songs. Did the same thing, moved it over to the studio and then uh, record, finished the album up, you know. So so the board wasn't in great shape. The studio, you know, it needed some updating. So it wasn't, it just had a vibe, you know. Right. And then uh, speaking to Dave Grohl, you know, Nirvana went looking for studios and they walked in Sound City and they saw a Holy Diver Platinum album. 
And he said that's what made him record there. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. That's they were awesome. influenced by that album. And then eventually Dave bought the board. Yeah. I was which was that. entirely redone. You know, yeah. he had put some serious cash in, into that board. And I went to Dave's studio and it looked like a new board. It didn't look like the oh, same place. But it's a great board, you know. A lot of history. Yeah. I mean, really? you, yeah, yeah. When you imagine what albums were recorded, a lot on of that albums board. on it's that pretty, board. Pretty crazy. Um, well, you know, and I know Wikipedia is not always accurate on stuff, but uh, Wikipedia states in the production notes, original concept by Wendy Dio. What exactly does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. You know, let's call it something. I don't know. Oh, okay. It wasn't her idea to put the band together. You know, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, what is the concept? I don't really know, yeah. other than a great, great hard rock metal album. Yeah. We didn't know it was going to be great. You know, we stuff was coming out great. We used to listen to it, you know, on the big speakers, loud, crank it up. And it's good, man. It's good. My, my, even my uh, drum tech said, man, this is going to be platinum. And I'm like, wow, I don't know about that. Maybe it'll, it'll sell well, but platinum. And sure enough, to this day, the thing still sells. Well, it's like it's like a gateway album for a lot of metalheads. I mean, like there's a lot of people that that really get into metal from this record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it it didn't just fizzle out. It's like, man, that influenced me so much, and uh, you know, it got me started. I, I mean, I I run into Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins a lot of times, and they're man, stand up and shout that fill in the beginning. <laughs> I go really. Oh, I love that man. Burnham. We used to play that after the show when we played with the Foo Fighters. They put on Holy Diver in the bus and calmed awesome. down a little bit. I was, oh man, that's a great compliment, you know? Yeah. And we didn't. Yeah, uh, we just made what we felt was our best uh, stuff coming out. You know, best music. But we didn't know we we're making this album. Yeah, so um, let's go a little bit track by track, if that's okay with you. Kind of talk about your memories of each song. Um, so obviously, Stand Up and Shout, like, you couldn't pick a better album opener uh, among all the yeah. songs on this record. Yeah, I mean, if I, you, if I didn't you. know that album, put on that album, and that started with that, I'd go, holy shit. What's what else is on here? Right, exactly. Stand Up and Shout was a song called "Bottle of Wine" with Fibs Band. Oh, really? Sweet Savage. The, the riff of it, the riff, the riff, and uh, the riff of it. That, 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 not the whole song. We rearranged it. We put new parts in and all that stuff. But that's where it came from. It was all played from top to bottom. You know, we did a bunch of takes and got the drums down, and we were cool. So I don't remember much else about that, you know. Such a banging song, man. I love that one. Yeah, and then we did the breakdown where it's just guitar and Ronnie stand up and shout. And yeah. It was it was great stuff, like for the 80s, you know. It was a kind of 80s part. Not much to say on that oh, yeah. song, although it's a burner, you know. Yeah. And then, um, what's next? Um, well, Holy Diver was something that Ronnie and I, played before there was anybody involved you know we go in the studio a rehearsal place ronnie be on a stool with his bass uh sometimes a guitar 
But we had down which is a repeat. Yes. And then I suggested, why don't we go down boom boom use these accents to break it up a bit. We had about that much of it. You know, we didn't have guitar solos or anything. And then when we got uh, Viv and Jimmy, you know, we started working on it, you know. And then it always came to, back then, a guitar solo was always somewhere different to go. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, we didn't solo over the riff. Dun, 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 dun. So we went, Love that part. So those accents are, Ba-dum. But, uh, on the beat then we right. switch it around like that because some people play it backwards you know so uh and and ronnie's you know started thinking as you know we'd lay it down then as the song developed he'd sit there write lyrics get up and sing a little test it out and uh and that came it's actually a, a it sounds like a simple song but yeah it's the, the different riffs in there and a lot of people I've jammed it with people and they make mistakes you know they play the one part that's almost like this part but one goes up one goes down that's the end of the guitar solo It's not as simple as you think it is, but uh, but that's a good, you know. Jimmy played that that stuff really great. That boom, 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 boom. We call that pedaling. The English call it pedaling. That kind of feel. Yeah, and the, yeah, the interplay between Jimmy Bain and Vivian on that song is just incredible. Yeah, and, you know, the, and also, of course, it it gave birth to probably the what I call a Dioism that's very famous. As, Look out, you know. A lot of, yeah. I even know people that aren't even big Dio fans, but they know that that little part of the song. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. but Jimmy was that's great it. to play with because he he wasn't a technical player and busy. He laid it down, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of busy, and it allowed me to fly off where i felt i can fly off and um and come back so yeah. it was a great combo you know Jeff fit right into that feel you know yeah and Solid. we we interviewed your brother a couple of days ago about the uh the making of the blue murder record and and like you but you're you guys are very you're different drummers but you're also both you're unique to other drummers is in the fact that it's not just a straight four, four thing. You know, you guys, you will let your creative creativity come out in your fills. And right. I, I noticed that for both of you. Well, that's because my, my take on that is <clears throat> when I grew up learning how to play, I listened to my brother, listened to John Bonham, Mitch Mitchell, Billy Cobham, not so much Keith Moon, but I did listen to it. And the diff, the thing, and Buddy Rich, of course, but 
the thing with those drummers are they didn't play it safe. You know, nobody played the verse and just boom, boom, two and four or variation. They didn't play the chorus, just something else. They played in between things. There's right. fills in the verses. There's fills in the choruses. And I grew up like that. And I went, yeah, because, you know, listen to Bonham. I picked stuff up. I went, that's a cool lick he played. You know, even if it's a little bling, a little something, they go, oh, I like that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I grew up with that. And I always said that if I make, when I get older, make albums, I'm going to have played stuff that drummers would want to listen to and learn. You know, awesome. but yeah. I didn't just sit there and come up with stuff. It just came naturally. And it works. You know, I didn't play fills to play fills. I just felt sure. them, you know, and then I got that was my style. I play fills in weird places. So I'm mm-hmm. told. You know? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's how Carmen and I differ. We play the same and then we play different, you know. Right. Because we do a show together as well. And, uh, you know, we could sound like one big giant drummer and then we can just go off and kill it on our own, you know. Next track is Gypsy. Uh, any particular memories of, of this one Love coming together? Um, the only thing I can tell you with Gypsy is after the second chorus, there's a hang and the drums go, and there were no drums there before. I left it blank. And when we working on it, we go, you know, it's like a hole there, you know, so... I went out and overdubbed, and if you listen, it sounds like a different drum sound. It's not matched to the, uh, I think he might have just used room mics or something. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I remember. But you know what? I like stuff like that. Nobody said it has to be. That could be an effect. An effect drum sure. sounds a little different. You know, why not? Yeah, it's like you know, backward cymbal or making it an effect. Uh, so I don't really know. It's just a rocker, you know. Yeah, and then yeah, it was it kind of tailored after ACDC kind of thing. Hmm. I can hear that. Straight, yeah. straight, boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, boom. See, and that's part of what I love about this album so much is that you've got a song like Gypsy, which, like you say, is ACDC, kind of just a straight-ahead rocker. But then you got stuff like Holy Diver, too, where it almost borderlines on some prog rock stuff, you know, because there's so many intricacies going on in the song between the drumming and the guitar playing and even the -the out-of-this-world lyrics, you know, that, that Ronnie's coming up with, where Dio it's hard to pin them down, you know, because you get different things in different songs out of this band and especially on this album. Yeah. And, and the melodies Ronnie came up with are incredible, you know, mm-hmm. singing his ass off, you know, he was totally inspired by this band. Yeah. He knew he had a great band and we're writing great stuff. So he just belted it out. It was easy for him to just fly over this stuff and yeah. uh, it came easy for him, but the melodies and the notes he was hitting, He's just on fire, you know? Yeah. That's why, you know, he would inspire me. <clears throat> he kicked me in the ass. I kicked him in the ass, you know? So it, it was really so much fun. So creative. 
was a lot of his vocal takes one take done, you know, takes, or did he do a lot of takes for songs? No, Ronnie likes to record like he'll do a verse, well, maybe half a verse. Let's listen back. Because a lot of times when he's recording, he's not sure it's not set in stone what he's going to sing. Okay. He didn't have everything set in stone where, okay, I know what I'm going to sing, roll it, and sing. He right. had an idea, and he was singing it. Then he'd listen back on the phones. And go, all right, take it from the, the after the first sentence, punch me in. And he'd build his vocal that way. Right. Until he was comfortable where it sat. But he didn't sing the whole song. He didn't sing the whole verse. He 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 went in and out, you know, like that. I suppose and that's that's the way to do it if you're trying it out. You know, if you're seeing does this work, does that work? Oh, that's not gonna work. Let me try this. Perfect right there, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Because it's perfect hearing. You hear the song perfectly. It's recorded in a studio. It's not like we're right. rehearsing where it's pretty loud and noisy. So he's got it right on his headphones, and he's able to really hear where his vocal's sitting. He always knew where he was, but, you know, he'd sing that. Think, okay, take it from here. And we'd sit there and go, holy shit, that was amazing. No, no, no. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Yeah. And he'd do it even better. And, and you know he he's you know he's producer on this record so um and he, you know obviously he had a definite vision for what he wanted to to do with this but um did the record company try to push a producer on you guys or were they okay no. with him running the show they were okay they were cool with it okay they let us do whatever we want <laughs> better off <laughs> that's a good freedom to have making a right. record then yeah I tell you you know the producer the first thing he would have said was you can't play those roles there <laughs> so first. Yeah, no fills there. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, I suppose that record company's got to have a lot of faith in Dio if they gave him the contract before he was even out of Sabbath. And Ronnie's got to feel like he's kind of got something to prove coming out of here. You know, the band's named after, you know, his last name. And, you know, especially coming from, like I said, like a band like Sabbath. I mean, there's got to be extra inspiration for you guys to kick some ass to prove that you're able to step out from underneath that shadow. Right, right. But uh, they had a lot of faith in Ronnie because it was a good size record deal. Uh, you know, he sang in Rainbow, he sang in Sabbath, the Heaven and Hell album was so big, they were in arenas. So, of course, they're going to, back then, there was a lot of money floating around yeah, in the right. music business. Give a deal, a, a deal, you know? Yeah. How, how could you miss? Even if, even if it only sold a couple hundred thousand copies, you know? Uh, it wasn't as big as a deal as Sabbath, but the deal was there. And right. then Ronnie just came on strong when he got the right, we got the right band together. That was just a, yeah. how, how we got Jimmy and Viv and it's just lucky. It yeah. all came together and that band was the magical band. It really was. Magic. Well, and then yeah. the, the next track is uh, caught in the middle and you, you have a co-write on this one with Vivian and Ron and Ronnie. Uh, what, well, we should have had a co-write on all of them because Ronnie didn't write the songs by himself. Right. That's that's called uh, music politics. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, me and Ronnie started Ho Holy Diver. It was his idea, but, but, but I put my two cents in a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, I was wondering why Everybody you else did. Well, because yeah. it, was, it, it was politics, you know? Yeah. Uh, caught in the middle, I think the beginning was another Sweet Savage riff. Mm -hmm. And then we took it and we worked it and worked it and worked it. And then it became Caught in the Middle. Caught in the Middle was about our sound man, Angelo. I didn't even know this. I was told this not long ago. Or I was told it. I forgot. 
because he was always caught in the middle of relationships and different things in life. And so he, that's what he wrote it about. And then uh, the thing for me on that song, which is odd, is the verses are played on the ride cymbal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> They're not on the hi-hat as it usually would do. And then I think this halftime part was a bit of a sweet savage riff too. Yeah. And then we just played it and put it, did it all right, you know, put stuff in there. So I, I think this song, you know, I was listening to the whole album today a few times just to, just to get ready for this. And, you know, obviously the singles that were picked, you know, were very well picked, but this one had single potential too, in my opinion. I think this would have sounded great on the radio. Yeah. It's a good song, straight ahead. Yeah. You know, I'm straight ahead, but it's still rock. I like playing it. We used to play that live with Last in Line, so it was great. Oh, cool. Girls like that song, too. So then that goes to uh, the next side is Don't Talk to Strangers leads off the second side of the record. I don't remember. You know, it's a long time ago, so I don't yeah. know, oh, I know how we came up with I think Ronnie might have had that intro, some of those chords. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, of course, we said, well, we don't want to stay there. We want to start you know, going on fire. And bam, bam, bam. <laughs> that was my Keith Moon uh, stuff. Bam, bam, bam. He played fills of a lot of accents. And that song, a lot of it just came naturally, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was that, that pedaling feel again. And then uh, we thought, well, it could be a break it up with a halftime. Bam, boom. Uh, somewhere we went back to halftime i know at the end we did so that was just yeah. a burning song you know uh, that was my tribute to keith moon <laughs> this is the first dio song i ever heard it was on one of those like metal master compilation cassette tapes and i remember being a teenager listening to it and the first time and it's like okay i don't even know who this band is and it starts playing and my initial reaction is oh I'm not going to like this because it's so ballady when it first kicks in, you know, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I'm, oh, I don't like this, you know, but then you let it play and then it's like, oh, they like the power in, in Ronnie's voice when he <laughs> like growls it. And then when it kicks in, it was like, holy shit, you know, this is amazing, <laughs> you know, and then it was, I got to know more about Dio. <laughs> the song that first drew me in and like i said at first you know i wasn't into like the power ballads but when no that... we i don't play ball i don't really play ballads no you know and that was me being young and not understanding what this is you know that's called an intro right yeah so we we almost said you know we do do an intro like that and then just slam it because we're not going to play a, a love song we're not going to play a ballad uh ronnie felt the same way I mean, my, my first website was Vinnie Apathy, loudest drummer in rock. No ballads, no unplugged shit, no love songs, no problem. 
Nice. <laughs> and my brother used to go, no work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, like too. one I of those songs that lures you into a feeling of safeness and then hits you over the head with a sledgehammer, you know, just when you think, yeah. oh, this is it's nice. It's like the beginning Boom. of Last in Line. It's so nice. La- same yeah. thing, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And then, uh, then it changes. Yeah. <clears throat> That's why later on when he did This Is Your Life mm-hmm. before he passed, you know, I said, it's good. You know what? We never did a ballad. Maybe it's time for something right. like that. And uh, that's when it was time. Well, with the, with Don't Talk to Strangers, I don't know if you're you're probably familiar with, there's a lot of uh, YouTubers that do reaction videos to these old metal songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this one is actually is done by quite a few of them. And these, it's these young millennials watching it, the videos. And this song in particular, they'll, you know, they'll get into that ballad at the beginning. Oh, this is nice. This sounds really sweet. And then all of a sudden, when the when the hammer drops, their eyes just about pop out of their head. Like, whoa, what happened? You know, it's it's it still get it still grabs people by the throat when it kicks in. It's a great song. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, they all came out amazing. I, I'm not shooting my own horn, but it just was there. Everything. It was that window of some great songs for us. And yeah. Great time it was the right time, the right place. Everything, the whole thing was in sync. Great time for rock and metal in general, too. Oh yeah, I mean, it was. It was really the heyday. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so then it goes to straight through the heart, which I did read was uh, like the title was a was a sweet savage title, and then you guys used that title for this song. Um, I think that's correct. And uh, Jimmy had that riff. Boom, ba dum, ba dum. Great riff. I love that. Jimmy had that riff, so we were grooving on that. Then we wanted an intro. So, okay, let's start with the drums, you know? So I did this, what they call replacement triplet. And I had uh, how many? Four toms up here and two here. Had a big kit in the studio. So yeah. I went from high to low. And then I thought, let's double that. And I'll go from low to high. Oh, that's cool. So I did the same fill going up. So now they start on either side and it's panned. Crossover. Yeah. And it sounds like an effect. Everybody kind of goes, what did you play there? So it sounds like that. It's just these re- triplets. And just because they're replacements, they they sound a little bit off here and there. And then the panning... And there's probably an effect, a bit of an effect on it. Made it like a great intro. beautiful yeah well and that yeah that and the the riff that that jimmy wrote for that it's just it's just amazing yeah. you know it's the, the that song has so much punch and groove to it and know? then it went to again the pedaling straight through the hop and then if you hear the solo of course we sit there we need a solo what we try different chords and then we came up with that solo down uh the middle eight that's from na 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 
We didn't listen to the song and go, hey, let's take that. It's evolved into that. And I said, you know, it's, we all said it sounds like that song, but it's great. It's a great That's solo. Fun. The bass in that song always gives me feelings of like uh, 70s, like Glenn Hughes era, Deep Purple kind of. Yeah, that's a badass song. You know, it's got that, you know, sway down, yeah. it's kick. Yeah. Great riff. Yeah. Good riff. Attitude. Timmy Bing. So then uh, that goes in, next song is Invisible. Invisible, uh, again, another intro, you know, which is cool because then we're becoming a band. They have these weird, very nice short intros and then it slams into something. Invisible, it starts off with that. Yeah. Right. So Ronnie said, I want to have something like, like that. Invisible, like it appears or it goes away. Right. <clears throat> Back then, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have computers. So we're all sitting around smoking some pot and shit. Let's uh, like a tire, like air, air escaping. Yeah. Let's get a tire. You know, that's how crazy <laughs> it was. And our, and I, one of our crew, Tom, I got a tire in the tr- back of my truck. I go get the tire. <laughs> Brings the tire in, in the studio. Now we're miking a tire. No one's really wow. ever mic'd a tire. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Yeah. So we mic the tire. <laughs> They're all cracking up. And then we go, okay, Tom, do it. He had to do it a couple of times. We had enough air in there to do it a couple of times. Right. And that's what it is. Uh, Angelo Arcuri, who's the engineer, we grew up together, Angelo and I. And yeah. he was actually Soundman for Sabbath. I got him into that. And then when I went over to Dio, he came along. So he was always at the, the rehearsals every night, which was great. Our engineer is there every night and uh, helping us record the stuff. Because what we was uh, record on cassette. I would usually run it or tell Angelo, record when we're jamming on something, this is really cool. So, mm-hmm. so we have it and we can listen later and build on it if we want to use it. So he recorded the tire. So that's a tire. And then we're listening at the rehearsal room and one of the riffs in the boom, 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 boom. We had that riff and we recorded it. And then when we came in that night, we said, Angelo, play that thing we were jamming on last night. So he put the four track cassette tape upside down. So that means it's going to play backwards. Right. So he puts it on and it's playing backwards. And we go, you fuck. Ah, You laughing at him. You ass, have another cough, you know, drink or whatever. And we were cracking up. He put it backwards. Then we were waiting. But wait, that's a cool riff. (laughs) (laughs) Let's learn that riff. So wow. Invisible is the same riff backwards. Yeah.
I don't know which one's which, but one of them's forward, one of them's backwards. Oh, that's wild. And we use the riff. That's what I'm saying. We had open minds, anything. The word camp yeah. wasn't there. You yeah. know, it's like, hey, dude, that's a cool riff. Let's try it. And we tried it, and it worked great. Yeah, you never know till you try, right? Yeah. 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 So that's the story with that song. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a lyric guy. I don't really get into lyrics, so I don't know what, what his lyrics are saying and what's in I'm just. I just think your friend Tom probably should have saved that tire because he could probably get four <laughs> figures for it on eBay right now. If he was right. smart, he would have said, hey, I want you guys to sign it and kept the tire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you could have yeah. had a, a tire endorsement deal or something. Yeah, because back then you had to think. It wasn't like, hey, let me go on Google and get an invisible sound and then download the sound right. effect. We had to come up with stuff, you know. But that breeds creativity, you know. That's awesome. And there was no, there's no click. No, we didn't never use the click. So then uh, that brings us to probably the most well-known song on the album, Rainbow in the Dark. Any, uh, what, how did this song come about? Uh, I remember just playing a beat and then started jamming with Viv and Jimmy. Ronnie didn't like it at first. He thought it was too poppy. Oh, really? But we had the kind of parts of that song, and then he was convinced that this is really a good thing especially yeah. the girls like it you know so it's not just appealing to the metal head and then I think the intro um, I, I, we just said let's play it again and I counted it and we just went boom and I just counted it in after that and then we heard it we said, that sounds good let's leave it you know let's put leave that in the song and then Ronnie wanted to have that boom 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 real 80s thing and I mm -hmm. had those big aerial toms big big so it was perfect boom boom so we put the song together so that was more of a jam song you know, and luckily we did that song because that uh, was the biggest hit. You know, they're still using it in movies and move uh, everywhere. Did Jimmy come up with the uh, keyboard line for that? Well, it's funny because we had the song at the rehearsal room pretty down, and we're listening to it. We're all rocking. Yeah. And Jimmy's over there. He's got a cigarette in his mouth, Jim Beam and Coke. And there's a keyboard over here going through the PA. So while the song's playing, he's got an ash coming out the cigarette, walks over to the keyboard, and he grabs the cigarette with one hand and holding the drink. The ash is still on it. It didn't drop. And he goes, he puts the cigarette back in his mouth, walks over there. The ash is still on the cigarette. He even dropped the ash. And we went, holy shit, that sounds great. So that part was born. Wow. It's amazing how how simple it yeah. is. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just natural. Exactly. Natural. That's yeah. that's the thing I think I'm getting out of this conversation with you is what a organic, natural thing this album really was to create. And it is. It was, yeah. And man, that comes through the speakers, man. Even still to this day in twenty twenty one, when you throw that on and listen to it, that that feeling of of naturalness of it. Right. 
it still comes through the speakers. I love it so much. Yeah, there's feel to the whole thing. It's not just you put it on and it's first chorus, first chorus. Right. It's first with a little go somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the drums move a lot because I don't play, I don't play the safe stuff. I'm moving it a little bit, and Ronnie's moving it, and it's just all feel, you know. Yeah. Cool. And a good and a good sound, Angelo got some great sounds you know on everything yeah working with ronnie yeah the pr- production and the mix on it still stand the test of time today they it still sounds like a fresh record when you listen to it got a lot of punch to it so i was kind of amazed when i was when i realized that uh ronnie james Dio was the one that produced it and i go wow you know this this sounds like michael wagner this sounds like you know bo hill or somebody you know some famous producer because it sounds so good sonically they, and then you look and go, well, who produced this? Well, Ronnie James Dio did. Then you think, well, I guess he spent a lot of time under the learning tree of a lot of good producers over the years before he got to this point. Yeah, yeah. So it was good. You know what? But you can only produce so much. It's got to be great musicians working with it that yeah. right. that know how to get a sound, too. Yeah, sure, true. You know, even in the rehearsal room, the band sounded badass, you know. Yeah, Jimmy could plug into a, re- a refrigerator <laughs> and he can Still play great. and get a great yeah. sound. <laughs> it was Jimmy. <laughs> but Ronnie had a lot of work, lot of, lots of work with, it. and Angelo was a great engineer. Yeah, that was, was a great brainstorm. Yeah. So then that closes the record out with Shame on the Night. Uh, Shame on the Night was, uh, you know, kind of like a Sabbathy doomy song, and uh, we called them the Monks. Uh, 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 Ronnie did the vocals all the number of times, and we put the Monks in at the end. And then there's a laugh on it. You know, he did the laugh. We wanted to make it really evil. And then I said to Ronnie, I said, you know what? In Sabbath, everybody thought we put some backward shit on the record, mob mm-hmm. rules or anything we did, you know, like, oh, you play it backwards and fire breaks down. And so I said, let's put something backwards on this song. It's the end of the album. Because, yeah, 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 let's do that. So when it's fading out, uh, I think it's right after the laugh, he goes, <laughs> And you could you could hear it if you know it's there. Yeah. And what he said was, "Crucify the diver." And nobody said a word. Nobody nobody mentioned it. There you got a, a a story of being accused of doing something that you didn't do on the other albums, and then you do it, and nobody says a word. <laughs> And then we had oh. the monks, which were Ronnie overdub, overdub, probably four different voices. Right. That faded in. 
That was more like almost like a tribute to Sabbath, a very doomy, dark song. I see you know? that. That's a cool way to wrap the album. It's I almost think. like Heaven and yeah. Hell. Shame on the don't, don't, just bass and drums. We wanted to have that, you know, well, from there you could build up to something really cool. As soon as the, you know, we get loud and the guitar comes in, uh, it's such a drastic change. And then we had, then it went, do, 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 then, I don't know. I think that was just for fun. Kind of a jazz riff. Do, 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 do. Somebody came up with that and we went, let's put it in the song. It's so weird. You know, all of a sudden it goes into this little whiff without drums, just bass and guitar clean, almost like a jazz riff. Yeah. And do, 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 and then it goes kicking in. We called the, the third verse the third heaviest verse in the world. Because when it kicked in, and I'm hitting the bass drum, boom, 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 boom. You know, so we said that's the third heaviest verse in the world. We named it. So. Wow. That's awesome. Well, it's a, I always love albums that end like with a unique track at the end, and that's definitely one of those. Like, it's a good way to wrap the whole record up. But how many you know? times have you heard it and you didn't know it was backwards? Oh, I know. I'm I'm going to listen to it completely different. Yeah, now I'm going to yeah. totally go back and listen yeah. to it. There's something else somewhere because we were recording, and I'm facing this way. The control room's behind me, and Ronnie's looking at me when we're recording, and we must have just finished something. My brother Carmine came in, mm-hmm. and Ronnie goes look behind you and i went why <laughs> is, is there a fucking ghost behind me what the way he right. said it you know it was like scary look behind you i went oh shit and i look and it's carmine <laughs> but i said let's put that on the album somewhere yeah and that's on there somewhere. I don't remember where that oh, is. Oh, wow. I'm going to listen for that. You've given us so many cool nuggets of information yeah. that people are going to go Easter back eggs. and check out. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. cool stuff. Like well, computers. and then, like, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, this album had the controversy with the uh, the cover and everything. Did, did did you guys and Ronnie, like, did you guys kind of enjoy the, the little play with, you know, people kind of going up in arms with some of this stuff? And what was your, because, you know, that was the whole satanic panic era. And I know that, that you guys got lumped into that stuff. What what were your thoughts at the time of that? Did it bother you or were you like, hey, it's extra press for us? Why not? No, it's cool. We we loved it. You know, at, at, matter of fact, Ronnie and I, when we were in Sabbath, we were booked uh, to play in Phoenix on Easter Sunday. And everybody started protesting. They were uh, protesting outside with Bibles. Going, Can't have Black Sabbath play on Easter Sunday. It was a big thing. It was in the news and shit. So we had to move the, the show to the next day. Luckily, we had off wow. on Monday. So we we went through that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then one time with Black Sabbath in the studio, probably doing the mob rules, <clears throat> Rod Stewart was next door. And, uh, and they wanted to come in once in a while. So we put crosses all over the place, you know, just for the hell of it, you know. <laughs> they yeah. walked in. And, Oh, these guys are serious. <laughs> What's going on in here? You know, so we put a whole bunch of crosses and shit. You know, is it? Yeah, it was a different time though. For with, yeah. uh, with all and then we stuff, used to yeah. do say, you know, when in England in the old hotels, and we did seances, a couple of seances and shit. You know, Ronnie liked doing that. Yeah. Do you, do you have any results from them? Uh, here and there, smells and winds, and sometimes you know there was one where the the big main house you know after the show we're in there having 
a drink. It's like an old mansion, you know, just us. Mm-hmm. And this guy, old guy with the tray, you'll want to drink. <clears throat> and we're doing a seance and it's getting spooky. And then I look out the window and my, the rooms were, you had to walk across the parking lot. You know, it's all trees and it's dark, probably cemetery somewhere. And supposedly some prostitute got murdered there years ago, hundreds of years ago. Right. Seen walking around. So it's like two in the morning. Now it's like, okay, now I got to walk to my room. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ran so fast ever. I got to the door. There's my room. Wow. I watched too many Frankenstein movies when I grew up. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, well even if it even if it wasn't real, you probably conjured up enough in your imagination to yeah. make it real. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean there were rooms in England where you look out the, the window, it's at night at, after the show. Look out and there's this whole church cemetery that holy shit. And I'd look at anything moving. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> whoa. Spooky stuff. Oh, then I'd close the curtains. Fuck that. I'm not looking at that anymore. Yeah. You know, another thing about this album too that always stands out to me is the uh the the fantasy kind of lyrics that that Ronnie wrote for it. You know, and a lot of these songs got like the the hobbit sort of feel to it. And I know around the time this album's coming out is kind of like the rise in popularity of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I always imagine in my mind when you listen to an album like this, did Ronnie James Dio play Dungeons and Dragons? No, no. <laughs> he played that. Pac-Man. Yeah, Pac-Man was big. He loved that. He had the high score, and we had games there. You know, uh, what was the other one? Missile something. Oh, Missile Command. Space Invaders. Space Invader, Missile Command, and and Pac-Man. Yeah. Oh yeah, he loved that stuff. That back then, that's what was happening. You know, he just wrote those lyrics. I mean, that's what he. He's been in England so much, and he was uh, very inspired by. It. Re- he reads a lot of books. Yeah. I mean, he he reads books in three days, you know, and uh, two days a day he could read a whole a whole book. Actually, I bring books on the road back then, and I would read like two pages, and I go, oh, I'm tired, go to sleep. Next time I read it, it's one page, so they're all folded over. So every two pages, three pages, the fucking books is folded over ronnie ran out of books any books i could buy i go yeah i got this one and he starts laughing this he's reading then he's, he's folded over the next page next page that's folded over again like jesus you can only read two pages but he could read the shit all night man so very very uh sharp very educated you know yeah very cerebral he was going to be a pharmacist oh was he yeah so he knew his stuff. He, you know, very sharp with with that, and very uh, worldly from reading all the books and being around the world. And so he was really intrigued with all that. Well, I'm sure glad he didn't end up being a stinking pharmacist. <laughs> I know. What a, what a <laughs> loss for the world that had been. Well, maybe maybe he would have been like Doctor Kavorkian and start giving people the wrong shit. Yeah. <laughs> he died. Oh shit! All these people were dying from pharmacy. Doctor Dio. Dr. Dio. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Photoshop waiting to happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Well, I, I want to thank you for doing this. Yeah. Um, also, you know, as we mentioned, uh, you're, you're, you and Carmine have a great show called Hanging and Banging, which is uh, now on the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is also our network. So yeah. glad to have you on there. And I want to give you guys a plug, and we'll put links in the show notes to all that. Cool. Is there anything else you want to promote before yeah, we get Yeah, and also, I do my own show tomorrow night. I do it every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's on Facebook, Vinny Apathy Official. And uh, it's a drum show. It started off as as supposed to be like a teaching thing, but now it's turned out to be a full rock show kind of thing. Nice. Yeah, because otherwise, how many things are you going to teach? And, you know, I got a lot of girls watching. I got a lot of non-drummers, you know, bass players, guitar players. So, you know, it's got an intro. I play some cool songs. I tell these kinds of stories, uh, show some rock memorabilia that's in my house because it's full of rock memorabilia um then we take questions it's an hour long um and i got a great drum sound you know it's done here get out of the way there's my drums nice. Shawty drums my friend's company they, they sponsor it. it's fantastic drums and uh so every tuesday on facebook 4 p.m if you can put that in there that'd be great yeah absolutely we'll put links to all of it on yeah there. i'm gonna start watching that that sounds cool as yeah hell. it's got a big badass drum sound on it compared because it's streaming and yeah. uh i i took a while to figure out how to get a really good drum sound uh because mm. i've seen some of these things and they're really clean and this yeah. that, that, not here that fucking bass drum is distorting and you know, just that little crunch of you know kind of like right. holy diver you know so yeah We'll, we'll definitely check it out, and we'll uh, we'll spread the word for you on yeah, there. Yeah, thanks. That'd be cool. Cool. So thanks again for doing this. It was awesome. great to talk to you. Thank you, Chris and Aaron. Thank you. And I'd like to thank all the fans that have been listening to all all this, all my the music I made all these years. Are, you know, it's really, uh, I really appreciate it. It's really nice to be able to still go out and people want to hear this stuff. So it's fun. Yeah, and we, we'd love... We'd love to have you back on sometime to talk about one of the other records in your right. catalog. Yeah, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of records. You know what? And thank you for making it all because, man, you made the music that makes us all happy. So, you know, it goes both ways. Well, that's what we always said, you know, when we're making this stuff, like these albums, the Holy Dive. We don't sit there and go, you know, this is going to touch somebody's life. Right. Somebody may be going through a bad time, and then this album comes out, and they pick that song that makes them feel better. So music makes you feel better. Yeah. Most yes. is, most music. And uh, so we don't think like that. And then you go on the road and these people come up and go, man, if it wasn't for that album, I couldn't, uh, I, I don't know what would have happened or that song. And, and it's like, wow, yeah. we yeah. do. You know, we don't think of that when we just make the stuff, you know. I mean, geez, even look at like so. Rainbow in the Dark. It's such an uplifting tune. You can't help but feel good when you hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Music is great. Yeah. All right, well, you guys take care. Thank you for having me, and I'll see you, see you soon. Check out the shows. Definitely will. Right. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Vinny. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 